I would invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Job. Today we're going to be, uh, we're going to cover three chapters in the book of Job today. Uh, that's okay, that's just a startup because next week we're going to cover six chapters. But uh, today we're going to cover three chapters. We're in Job chapter 29, 30, and 31. I am not a lawyer. I don't even play a lawyer on TV. And yet, I have read every legal thriller that John Grisham has ever written. And that has then spun off to some other authors that are pretty good as well. And I have found in my career, in fact, as a pastor, I've often said, if I could go back and do it again, or if somebody would actually call me and ask me, I would tell them that I think in seminary there ought to be at least one course that gives you a primer on family law because as a pastor, that's the part of the legal system I have run into the most as I've tried to come alongside others. I've actually shared with you that I, yes, have taken the witness stand one time in my life. I have been in a courtroom a few other times uh, to observe or to be with a friend in legal proceedings. And the law intrigues me. And it's interesting because I was a debater in high school and, and the, that is kind of the, the, the beginning point, the feeder system to think of whether you want to become a lawyer or not. And so I kind of know how things work. I know that in a trial especially that uh, once things wrap up, they wrap up with closing arguments. And the purpose of the closing argument is for both sides to remind the jury of the key pieces of evidence, the key points that have been made to help them presumably be fair and impartial in their judgment regarding the guilt or innocent of the one that's before them. As I have read this book of Job again, as I've thought through it again, as we've worked through it again, there is a sense, in fact, there is language used that, that Job has felt like he would like to enter into some sort of a divine courtroom where he could have a trial before God, where he could present his case before God. We've seen as we've worked through Job that he longed for an advocate. He longed for someone to kind of present his case. He, he's insisted on his innocence against the protestations of his friends. He's insisted that he's innocent and he believes he could make a case before God. And in the three chapters that we're going to look at today, they are like his closing argument. In fact, these three chapters end with the statement, the words of Job are ended. He has completed his argument. He has rested his case. And he is struggling still. You see, Job has lost his honor, which was huge in his culture. His honor among his peers. Job has been shamed because of his situation and lost respect. And Job will go through, and we'll look at it in a minute, and he will rehearse his, his good qualities. He will rehearse the things that what life used to be and how life is and how it could be. 
But when Job is done, the book is not done. Job just has no more words left. And in fact, the sense of all of this is wrapped up in Job 31, 35, when he says, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Those are strong words. We're going to survey these final chapters. And I want you to keep this thing in mind. If you don't hear anything else today, would you remember this? Because I think this point is so important to understanding not only this section, but maybe the book of Job itself. My relationship with God is never based on my ability to earn favor with God. My relationship with God is never based on my ability to earn favor with God. The fact is, we can't earn favor with God. And we have this natural tendency. We, we slip into this. We fall into this state of thinking where we imagine that with God it really is some sort of quid Pro quo. Okay, I took two years of Latin. I know two statements. Et tu brute and quid pro quo. Quid pro quo literally means something for something. I give you something and in return you give me something. I do something for you, I expect something in return. I follow all of God's rules to the best of my ability. I expect him to make sure that my life is trouble-free. I did all this for you, God. What have you done for me? And we have that tendency, and I believe that's kind of the thinking, kind of the, the mindset that was rolling through the book of Job. Job, you are suffering. You are suffering awfully. And that has to be because you sin. Because God is all about rewarding good. You do good for God. He will make sure to do good for you. And when everything falls apart, we wonder, what's the use? Where's the value in following God if he doesn't come through for me? And I would dare say, no matter who we are, at some point or another, we may have struggled with that reality. And some of us might even be there now. So we're going to summarize Job's closing arguments, and I believe there's some things we can gain as we observe his struggle. So in chapter 21, Job begins, How I long for the months gone by of the days when God watched over me, Implied in that, God's not watching over me anymore. When his lamp shone on my head and by his light I walked through darkness, oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. Job is longing for the good old days. And you know, when I started reading this, and we'll, uh, we'll look at a couple other things, it struck me 
we each tend to have, we each have a tendency to romanticize the past. We have this tendency to think the past was so much better. Oh, that it was better. Uh, I think my dad said it, but I think he was quoting my grandpa who once said, the older a man gets, the faster he could run when he was a boy. You know, we just romanticized the past. It was, it was so much better back then. And I want to tell you, Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, it's foolish to say those were the good days. That's my paraphrase. There's always been trouble. Job reflects on his relationship with God in this first six verses, and it was good. And even in verse 3, he says, God's lamp shone on my head So when I walked through darkness. In other words, he said, saying this, when I went through difficult times, when I struggled, when I walked through the darkness, I knew God's light was there to guide me. Like a divine flashlight on a dark path, I knew he was there. You see, it is not wrong to reflect on the past. It is not wrong to celebrate and remember the good times. I think it's healthy to do so. But to romanticize the past creates an ideal or perfect picture that may not be accurate. And so Job is saying it was good. And I know God's presence was there. And one of the risks we run when we romanticize the past is we run the risk of limiting God's presence in our lives to times when we think life was good. God is with us all the time. When life is not good, God is still there. But a romanticization of the past says, well, God, you were there when this happened, but I don't know where you were here. In the next few verses, Job looks back at how he was revered and respected and honored by others. In the culture in which Job lived, the culture of honor and shame, honor is the highest virtue. Verse 7, he talks about he went to the gate of the city and took his seat at the public square. That's where the leaders were. That's where the elders sat. That's where the respected and the revered would go. And they would sit there and they would be the ones to make decisions about conflicts that people might have. Job took his seat there. He was respected by young and old alike. In fact, the young men saw him and they stepped aside. Can you imagine that as Job's painting this picture? When he walks into the room and the younger men see him, they, just, they make room for him. Because he is somebody. He is respected. He is honored. Verse 9, the chief men didn't speak. They, they literally covered their mouth with their hands. They wouldn't speak until Job spoke because he had wisdom. He was a man who was respected by young and old alike. Verses 8 through 10, he had a great reputation. He was known of a man of wisdom. And hear me clearly. None of that is wrong. It should be the desire of all of us to be positive and respected influences wherever God places us. But that should never be the end game. It should be the reality of anyone who walks with God. Anyone who walks with God ought to be a person that desires to be respected, not held up in some kind of a, a pedestal, to be known for a person of being 
having integrity. For their word being some, meaning something. To be known for a person who's honest. To be known for a person who's kind and gracious. That should be everybody's goal. Job looks back and he sees that this is where I was. It was so good. Job was respected. We see it in the last few verses. Let me just pick it up here. In uh, verse 13, the one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked, snatched victims from their teeth. I thought, I will die in my own house as my days My days as numerous as the grains of sand, my roots will reach to the water and the dew will lie all night on my branches. My glory will not fade. The bow will will ever be new in my hand. Wow, Job says, I took care of the the vulnerable, the, the blind, the lame, the needy, the stranger. I was a champion for justice. I made sure the wicked had their power taken from them. I was was destined to live a long life and leave a powerful legacy. Verses 21 to 25, people just waited for Job to speak. And yet, and yet, When we start to see ourselves that way, we have a tendency to believe we're untouchable. We have a tendency to believe that we have it made. I wonder if Job was maybe engaging in a touch of hyperbole here. Because when we romanticize the past, we have this tendency to overemphasize our influence. Chapter 29 comes crashing down into the reality of the present. For Job, that's in two words. Look at verse 30, or chapter 30, verse 1. But now. This is where I was. I was respected. I sat in the city gate. I took care of widows, orphans, strangers. I made sure that nobody was oppressed. I I made sure people had food. Uh, People waited for me to speak. I I was the man. I had the wisdom. But now. But now. A romanticized past cannot change present realities and struggles. You can live in the past all you want. It will not change the present. You still got to live in the now. But now, the present. Job's present is harsh. We've already seen that. His honor has been shattered. He's a man of shame. And I think that idea is so hard for him. We'll we'll see that in the next set of speeches next week, how that honor and shame culture works a little bit in this whole situation. Job just doesn't know how one could lose all that in an instant. He's, 
he's even more confused about what happened between him and God. So in, verses thir- in chapter 30, verses 1 to 10, he begins to speak about being mocked. Look at verse 1. Now they mock me, men younger than I. Let me just say this. In that particular culture, when you were the younger person, you always showed respect to the older person. It would have to do in the way you addressed them. It would have to do in the way that you let them speak first. Uh, it would have to do that if you were, I mean, literally, if you were at a meal, they ate first. It was that way. And now Job says, men younger than I mock me. That's as shameful as it can get in that culture. Uh, he goes on and he talks about their, their own heritage, men whose fathers I would have disdained to put with my sheepdogs. In other words, these are people who were the lowest of society. Job said, I wouldn't have even let their fathers eat with my sheepdogs. You know, and now they're mocking me. Can you, can you get for a moment how low he is? Can you get for a moment how much he is struggling? All of a sudden, those who are the lowest of the low of the society think that they are better than Job, and that is hard for him. And I think in all the descriptions, the key is in verse 11, and I want to show you a contrast. Look at verse 20 of chapter 29. Job says, my glory will not fade, the bow will ever be new in my hand. In other words, he is saying, I long for the fact that my influence would always happen. A a bow is worthless unless it's strung, and then when it's strung and you pull it back and you release the arrow, you, as one friend of mine once said, you extend your influence. But look at verse 11. Now that God has unstrung my bow and afflicted me, they throw off restraint in my presence. God, you have taken away my influence. You've taken away my strength. You've taken away my legacy. And people now disrespect me. That's the present reality. Job believes that his, Job has seen his romanticized past and it just doesn't fit the current reality. If you go on and, and, and look at things, he talks about people attacking him, verse 12, laying snares for his feet, uh, all of these ways of people taking advantage of him in his weakness. And in verse 16, beginning in verse 16, he begins to reflect that maybe he's dying. We we. We tend to romanticize Job's issues, you know. Well, he lost everybody and he's got boils, but those are healable. No, Job thinks he is dying. We, we looked at it earlier, verse 27, he's got churning, his skin has grown black. Verse uh, 16, now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. What we don't know is exactly how long it was between when Job's Life crumbled because of the accuser. And when we get to the final part of Job where he's restored, we don't know how long it is. We don't know if it was weeks, months, years. But I'll tell you this. When you go through 
a difficult time, whether it's a physical time, maybe you're recovering from a surgery, or maybe it's an emotional time, days seem like years. And time just seems to slow down. One friend of mine whose husband passed away suddenly told us it was like two years of walking through jello. Everybody else's life was going on and every day was just a trudge. So Job feels that he's dying. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. God binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud. I'm reduced to ashes. I cry out to you, verse 20, God, but you do not answer. He feels like he's dying. He feels like he's ignored. He feels like, verse 21, God has actually attacked him. You've turned on me ruthlessly. Here's the odd thing that we sometimes miss. One of the reasons that it's good to take a glance back, to look back in a realistic way, not a romanticized way, is to look back so you can see the hand of God. I don't think it was original with me, but I like to say it. Faith is best seen in reverse. I see faith better. Faith going this way, moving forward, is like, okay, I'm taking this step. I don't know if it's going to hold, Lord. But I look back here like, oh, yeah, okay, I can see where God came through. And sometimes we need to look back. We need to see the times when we did not know what the next step was that we were going to take and then saw how God brought the right person at the right time. Or brought a delay and and caused us not to make a decision. And now we realized, oh, that was best that I waited. Or moved up a decision. Oh, I'm glad I made it now and didn't wait. Or maybe there was a person in authority who was in the way of where God wanted us to to go. and, and, And all of a sudden, he kind of moved that person out of the way. Or he put someone in a position that they could help us. We need those word pictures of remembrance so we can look at the present struggles and believe that God has not abandoned us. Job looks back at his past and he only looks at the glory days. And now that he doesn't have the glory days, he can't see where God was in the dark times. And for those of us who might not be going through the trial, unlike Job's friends, We should be the friends who come alongside and listen. Who come alongside and allow our struggling companion the freedom and the space to struggle. Who don't think that we have to fix everything. We just have to be in the presence. And when it's appropriate. And that appropriation, that appropriateness will come As you listen to the Holy Spirit, help them see that God has never walked away. But when those people are not there, when we don't take a look back, we're left with a romanticized past that leads to an attempt to bargain with God. Job ends chapter 39. I've read some of it. Let me pick it up in verse 29. 
Verse 28, I go about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I have become a brother of jackals, a companion of owls. My skin grows black and peels. My body burns with fever. My lyre is turning to mourning and my pipe to the sound of wailing. Job ends that with just that sense of it's over. And I believe chapter 31 is where he reaches the climax of his closing arguments. And chapter 31 reflects on our very first point today. We miss God's grace when we think we have to earn it. This climax of argument comes after he's cataloged his past reputation. He's shown how the present is unfair and doesn't really reflect on the man that he is. And now he's going to outline for God, as if God needs the outline, these are the standards by which I've lived. And as a result, they should be the way that you judge me. In fact, chapter 31 is a list of if-then statements. And, and it's uh, this pattern of conditional statements. If I'm guilty of this, 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 then yes, do to me. But I'm not, is what's understood. So here we go. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. For what is our lot from God above? Our heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked? Disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? If I have walked with falsehood on my foot, or falsehood, or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales, and he will know I'm blameless. If my steps have turned from my path, if my heart has been led by my eyes, if my hands have been defined, then, let, then may others eat what I have sown. May my crops be uprooted. And he goes on like this. The next section talks about his own morals. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I've lurked at my neighbor's door, then then let my wife be given to somebody else. Let her be taken from me. Because in his mind, that's if this has happened, let that happen. But I know it hasn't. And he goes through. He wants to, so these are the practical ways. I'm a moral man. I'm a compassionate man. Look at verse 16. If I've denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I've kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fathers, but from my youth I reared them as a father would and from my birth I guided the widow. He he talks about his generosity. If I've seen anyone perishing and haven't taken care of them. Or verse 21, if I've raised my hand against the fatherless, then let my arm fall from the shoulder. If I haven't taken care of the needy, then Lord, just take my right arm away. He is struggling because he's been faithful. He's a man of justice. He's a man who hasn't worshipped his wealth that's verse 24, if I've put my trust in God or said to pure gold, or said to pure gold, you are my security, then these would be sins to be judged. Oh. Job even says he's been gracious to his enemies. He's been hospitable to strangers. No stranger had to spend the night in the street. Verse 32, for my door was always open to the, tra- to the traveler. Lord, I have done everything you've asked. Lord, I have been the type of person you've outlined. Lord, don't you see? Can't you see who I am? He 
And let Job says, if none of this is true, verse 40, then let the briars come up instead of wheat, the stink weed instead of barley. In other words, just take away everything. Turn all of my crops into weed. Now I skipped over a portion. Job's challenge. In the middle of all this, Job has a challenge. It's in verses 35 and 36. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would even give him an account of my every step. I would present it to him as a ruler. Basically, Job is saying, God, bring your indictment. Put it in writing. Bring it against me. Sign it. I will give you a clear and accurate accounting of my life. I am innocent. And when you see all the evidence, you will come to the same conclusion. Job is done. God's not. In a couple of weeks, we'll look at God's words. The, the, whoever compiled or wrote Job, we don't know for sure. They put this together as this drama that just keeps building in intensity. And, and you get to the end of, verse, of chapter 31, Job's word are ended, and, 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 and all of us are like, whoa. What is God going to do? What is God going to say? And what we're going to find is God waits. We're going to hear from one other person. We'll talk about him next week. He kind of burst onto the scene and all. And yet Job is done. So let me come back to an earlier question before we wrap this up this morning. If I do everything right, to the best of my motives, according to my definition, and then everything falls apart, then what's the use? Where's the value in following God if God doesn't come through for me? And I would submit you this morning that including myself, we all get things turned around a bit. We're human. So it's natural that we would think like humans. And we have a... a strong desire to assign value or worth to that which in some way benefits us. We have a tendency to assign value and worth to that which we accomplish. Oh, think about it. Think about it. Whenever you meet someone, how soon is it after you meet them that you're asking, oh, what do you do? Because we place value on what we do for a living. And if you say, well, I'm retired. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Now there's value on that. You've, you've, you've crossed the finish line. It's nirvana for you from now on. You're just chilling and relaxing. You know, and you have all that disposable income at your hands. Uh, you know, we, we place value on so many things. We see someone's house and we go, oh, nice. And that's not a nice like, good for you. It's a nice like, oh, I wish I had that. We do that. And we have to remember uh, that we tend to pull God down to that level. 
You see, in Job's mind in these three chapters, especially 31, he's done everything right. And he says, God, I've earned the right. I have earned the right to have my day in court so I can prove to you my worth. Because look at the list of things I've done. You owe me an explanation. Because how can it be that everything I've accomplished doesn't matter? And you know what God does? In his grace, he just waits. He just allows Job to spew. I think of the old cartoons where there's the the big guy that's strong and there's the little scrappy guy and the scrappy guy wants to take him on and the big guy just stands there and holds his head while the scrappy guy goes until he... I think God does that with us sometimes. Yeah, go ahead. Here, I got you. Just, just swing away. It's okay. I can handle it. I need to remember a fundamental truth. My relationship with God is not based on my efforts. God's love for me is not something I can earn. In a healthy parent-child relationship, there is nothing that child can do to earn that parent's love. Charlene and I loved our three children the moment they were born. The moment we held those little squawking babies not quite knowing what to do with them, especially the first one, like, what do I do with this? You know, I, I tell people I remember 23 years old, just let that soak in. Married 11 months, let that soak in. Walking out of the hospital in the afternoon, in the evening of April 19th, 1982, thinking, what have I done? And I had this amazing sense of exhilaration jointly coupled with this amazing abject fear. Tied all in a nice bow by this unbelievable sense of responsibility. But that child didn't do anything to earn my love. In fact, let's be true, they cost us a lot. I think I looked two times at those lists that say this is what it costs to raise a child in America today. It's like, I don't even need to see that. You know, we'll, just, we'll just pay the bills as they come. And you know what's interesting? They feel the same about their children. And now their children are costing them a lot. But nobody gives an accounting of that. It's not a cost when it's love. You and I cost God the very life of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and he doesn't count the cost against us. God does not weigh our value in what we do. Our value is in who who we are because of who he is in us. My value to God is inherent in the fact that I am created in his image. By the same token, the value in following God, even when it seems that he's silent, even when it seems that he's left the building, even when it seems that he no longer cares, even when it seems that he's not able, the value of following God is that in a very unique 
an uncanny way, he chooses to reveal himself in us and through us to others and chooses to use others in our lives. You see, I don't follow God because of what he can do for me because he's already done everything. I follow him because of what he's already done. Remember, My relationship to God is never based on my ability to earn favor with God. My relationship with God is based on the fact that he has already given me his favor. And when I go through difficult times, no matter how alone I may feel in the moment, he promises to be there and in his grace. He sends people to walk alongside me. Job's closing argument, pretty impressive from our standpoint. To think he didn't spend all night, you know, preparing with a legal pad. I mean, to think this just kind of came off the cuff. That's pretty impressive. But it wouldn't make an impact on the eternal judge. You see, God already knew. God has already seen the beginning from the end. And God wants us to remember, I believe today, that our relationship with God is never based on our ability to earn favor with God. Job is going to learn that. We are going to learn that. But we can take it with us today. Let's pray. Father, the more I go through this book, the more I think about Job, the more I realize he's not much different than I am. I may not have gone through the same struggles he went through. I may not have gone through the same trials, the same pain. But I've often had the same attitude. And that attitude that you owe me. Because what I quote-unquote gave up for you So, Lord, for any of us who are feeling that way this morning, please forgive us. Open our eyes to the fact that everything we have, our earning power, our relationships, everything we have, everything good in our life, and even the struggles in our life, they they come from your hand of grace to shape us and to mold us to be who you want us to be. Because as the Apostle Paul would write centuries later, you work all things to good to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. May we long to be conformed to you. In Jesus' name, amen.